what have we here? Another episode how the city is silent. Protests are looming and they are congregating at the mayor's home in the Getty House near Mid-City. But the mayor has decided to put blockades to value the lives of plants instead of the unhoused community that is suffering from the criminalization and the harassment of the Los Angeles Police Department. Dr. Barbara Furrer has extended the shelter-in-place orders in L.A. County for three more months. We also learn that the hotel industry has its own special form of bid, which is called Business Improvement District. They're called Tourism Marketing District. Javier Cano is the vice president and general manager at the Ritz-Carlton. If you remember in the previous episodes, he is in concert with the police officers to criminalize and arrest the protesters for Hotel Project Roomkey. Here's another unknown fact. One in six arrests of a houseless person. One in three use of force is with a houseless person. Did you know that Officer Frank Hernandez, the mayor is hailed as a hero for shooting another person, would often ticket people for selling food on the street and would throw food in the trash. Another point to hear, 80% of Americans live in poverty or near poverty. Pre-coronavirus, how many live in poverty now during the coronavirus? This is episode 23 of Weedy and House, and I'm going to take the time to explain what was going on with the protests and the result of this, uh, the mayor's tepid response and for unhoused people experiencing their constitutional rights. Yes, yeah. My name is Theo Henderson from Weedy Unhoused, and I'm here with an activist that spoke out on Mother's Day. And I want to get her a perspective on why she's out here with this uh, protest. Yes, so um, I've been, on, well, I'm a restaurant worker, so I've been working for two months. Mm-hmm. So that means in four less paychecks. And so that means having to really ration the money that we have and think about food and think about, you know, other things, Little, even simple things like laundry. Because then what are we going to, you know, those things that take care of us and take care of her, of ourselves or of our home. And also I joined, that's why I joined the Rent Strike. Why am I joining the movement? It's because it's much bigger than we are. It's a whole, it's our community, it's our city, mm-hmm. it's our families for future generations to know that we have rights and we deserve Quality, equality, we deserve equal rights, we deserve quality housing. I have a question. Um, I'm unhoused and mm-hmm. I have gone through, it seems like this is deja vu with the Great Recession. And I was wondering, like, for example, I never envisioned that I would be unhoused this long. Um, does this come up into you guys' mind? What if you happen to be on the, have to be on the street? Yeah, so me, myself, um, I had to move out of my house when I was nine. 19 mm-hmm. right now i'm 24 mm-hmm. so i've lived in like six different houses and like four different cities throughout la so that thought has definitely crossed my mind to think that we're i'm living paycheck to paycheck as it is so thinking of you know we can be all we're all susceptible to that mm-hmm. to being that condition and i've thought about it and so also thinking that it's 
with all the money that our city has, it's not right. We it's at all. We have all these people living in this in this big houses. We have all these people with all this money. So us working people that um you know that are living paycheck to paycheck and living to survive, I think that no one should be in the streets because you know, we're just working to to live and so it's also we all deserve better. We all deserve a home, we all deserve a bed to sleep on. One of the things I wanted to, I didn't get your name. What's your name? Stephanie Themix. Stephanie. Uh, one of the things also that I noticed is like when being unhoused, there's a lot of uh, challenges that is very different than being in a house. Um, also, the uh, access of using the services from the city, like the police and things like that, that may have helped you if you had a house, becomes completely different when they call the police on you. Um, how do you think that that would be, uh, could, you think that could be changed when being on that street? So I think if I'm understanding your question, and I hope I am, I know I understand that police as it is already criminalizes people living in the street. Even us as people usually tend to have the stereotypes and our stigma of like, oh, no, you know, like walk away from people that are living in the street. Exactly. And so I think that I think that we totally need to we need a different form of system of justice and I don't think that the police is doing its job I feel if anything it's even criminalizing killing more people that are living in the streets so I think that I don't know if the police exactly can change the way they work but I think that we as people can definitely ask um, for a different type of system that doesn't criminalize people as, as a taxpayer we have the power to make sure that they do do their job instead mm -hmm. of being selectively enforcing Frank Hernandez uh, is a police officer that beat an unhoused person. And this is one of the concerns we have is because as soon as you cross outside of the, the comforts of a house, now you open to any kind of treatment. And we as a society have to do something about that because we have to hold them accountable. They have to go to jail. And all of a sudden, these missions or these pictures of good police officers, but they remain decidedly silent. It's as if they are secretly in agreement with that kind of treatment. Mm -hmm. It should be so uncomfortable that something like a Frank Hernandez does something like that. They should be just ran out out on a rail immediately. Um, and I noticed when the incident was happening, the police officer just, just stood there and allowed them to vi uh, violate and, and, and criminalize attack. If I had did that to a police officer, you better believe I'd have been in jail. If I had did that to anybody else, you better believe we would be not having this conversation. Why is it that they get so coddled and, 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 and so revered when they do criminal acts? I don't understand it. That sounds like a mafia and it should be torn. Um, is there anything else you would like to uh, tell the, our audience? Well, I want to say, Norris, what you said, thank you for saying that, because, you know, in my, what I answered was like, oh, I don't know. But you're right. And I think that we need to understand that a lot of our communities, sometimes afraid of the police, sometimes, you know, we think that having police in our communities is safer. Mm -hmm. But in reality, they're just policing us. So I think, thank you for saying that, because, yes, I think at this point, now that I'm getting more involved, I'm understanding that we do have to demand more. We do have to demand respect. We do have to demand humanity. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I think that just coming out here and being more involved, me, myself, I'm barely getting involved. So just knowing what we can do and demanding that we're treated with respect and humanity. Mm -hmm. uh, any other, what I, I guess I would like to add that um, for people to understand that this is a human right, that this is a, a human crisis and that um, we're not alone.
and I didn't know this uh, as much as I started digging a little more I started to realize that there's a whole community of people that are fighting out here like you like other people for people for other people that might not even be aware of it so we're not alone we have community learning about our rights learning about our local unions and being involved thank you very much this is Theo Henderson from the Wiener House if you can't fight for the word freedom take the word out of your mouth I hope we again meet in the light of understanding. Thank you, Stephanie. liberate ourselves and liberate LA, free LA, 
Right. And so that's what it is today. Not only when we get involved in these organizations, we got to start coming down. We got to start shutting it down because we die. It's three a day. Three homeless people are dying a day in this city, right? And if it's anybody else, three a day was dying. They've been going to shut it down. Just like they shut it down for the COVID virus, they have to shut it down for this. They declared a national emergency. If it was anything else, they'd have FEMA, the National Guards, anything flying in, coming in to save the city, put it on lockdown. But when it's us that's dying, they don't give a damn. So it's going to take us to save us. It's going to take us to come down here and shut it down. When he come out of there, we need to shut his ass down. We need to shut down the whole city. It's going to take us to do that. All power to the people. All power to the people. Unhoused news. The coronavirus has not only spread to Andy Bell's Union Rescue Mission, but the Los Angeles Mission has been affected, the Midnight Mission, and the Weingart Center. 14 residents have COVID-19 at the Los Angeles Mission, four at the Midnight and at the Weingart, and 100 at the Union Rescue Mission, which Andy Bells is the founder. You also know that Andy Bells has had the ear of President Trump and Marbut in creating a shelter-like facility for unhoused people akin to concentration camps. In other news, Rapid City, South Dakota has transformed the Civic Center Rushmore Hall into an emergency shelter for the ill or houseless. Rats are a common problem for housed and unhoused, but here is a new problem that they present. Rats are infecting people with hepatitis, and doctors are clueless to how. A unhoused family were robbed, and the six-year-old daughter was stabbed in the stomach. The unhoused sleep in a packed shelter and on, on stairways and floors, threatened with handcuffs or mental ward in Bellevue, New York. And this is Unhoused News. Good afternoon, this is Theo Henderson from Streetwatch Chinatown. I'm here at UCLA Law School interviewing Jacob Wucher. Jacob Wucher has been instrumental in inviting me here to speak on a panel today. So let's welcome him and get a little information about him. Here we go. Hey, uh, my name is Jacob. I'm a second year law student at UCLA and I organize with the Los Angeles Tenants Union. So what was your aha moment in order to help with the tenants or into social justice? Because when people hear lawyers, they always think of big Wall Street firms or big high, heavy, heavy hitters. So what got you into social justice? Well, I was pretty lucky to be involved with the tenants movement before I already started law school. Um, so then coming in, I kind of had some direction towards what I wanted to do. And um, we recently started a group called the Tenants Law Association at UCLA Law, which is a student org. Um, I think because we all realize that there's a lot of real estate law happening at the law school. There's a lot of classes and organizations that exist at the law school devoted to treating housing as a commodity and buying and selling housing and making a profit off of it. But there are pretty much no classes or organizations about tenant law, which is like trying to keep people in their homes or thinking about how the law privileges landlords over tenants. Um, so we started the Tenants Law Organization to try to counter some of that and push for more classes on this stuff and 
bring in people like you, Theo, and other organizers out there who are like fighting these battles on the ground and trying to hold you all up as experts because, you know, that's not something that often happens at the law school. It's very corporate oriented. Um, it's very white dominated. It's a very elite space. So we're trying to counter some of that and bring um, more of the grassroots movement knowledge to, to the law school. Thank you for inviting me again. Uh, let's talk about the domino effect. Where you have uh, a tenant that's in a house that is about to be evicted. The person becomes evicted, they have limited resources, and he's put on the street. He's put on the street, now he's a quality of life concern. The person that's lived there for 10 or 15 years is looked on as an eyesore. They lobby their local business improvement district, the council members, and police to work together to get them out. So you see, being unhoused has different layers. This is one of the layers. Do you concur? Yeah, totally. I think it's a really important way to think about it. Um, number one, it's connecting the number of people living on the street without shelter to the fact that rents are so high. Like, this didn't come from nowhere, this crisis. Um, people are being pushed out of their homes by the greed of landlords who raise rents. And it has to do with a lack of rent control. Like, in LA, our rent control is pretty weak um, because landlords can raise the rents between tenants. So that incentivizes them to evict people so they can then raise the rent. And also, it only covers buildings built before 1979. Um, also, we have to think about the city officials and the politicians who work with developers to subsidize like luxury development and raise prices and just basically like work really hard to make a city for the rich where property values and rents are as high as possible. Um, that has to be connected to the, to the number of people living without shelter. And then those same forces then work to criminalize and harass people in their own neighborhoods, like you said, like it's like a quote unquote quality of life concern or like it's an eyesore or whatever. Um, and instead of pe treating people like humans, um, we're really looking after the profits of property owners like Joanna Swan, who was just on this panel that we had put it really well where she was like the criminalization um, strategies put profits over people because that's really what they're concerned about which is the property values and also making life as comfortable as possible for rich people to live in the city and um it's yeah the the I, I really like the domino effect because it links these things that people don't always link together but it's really important to do one other thing that's a link is the common effect where people that are engaging in these quality of life concerns, they fashion themselves off as thinking they are good people. They are only concerned about the safety of their children or their going to work and the things of that nature. And how do you think that the city has a hand or plays into that? The city is involved in every step of the way. Um, and it really is like they make it out as if they're concerned with the health of the people sleeping on the street and also the um, people who do have housing living near them. And, you know, they paint people living on the street as, like, dangerous and stuff. And But I'm, I'm way more concerned about cops killing people than an unhoused person. I mean, the numbers bear that out. Um, and you have people like, or politicians like Mitch O'Farrell, who's the city council member for, like, Echo Park and Westlake. Um, who is super involved in criminalizing people and is pushing these really reactionary and hateful laws 
that criminalize people just living on the street trying to survive and then will turn around and tell you, you know, oh, we're not doing homeless sweeps like they're cleanups and we're just trying to help people. Um, when in reality, they're just working for the property owners um, and not just property owners, but I guess wealthy renters, too, who just don't want to have to deal with the poverty around them. Um, so the city, the city is absolutely a crucial actor. And, you know, I always tell people like Los Angeles's official response to the homelessness is criminalization and incarceration. It's not to provide housing. The main thing we do is criminalize people and put them in jail. One one thing in the in the panel today that I noticed that there was a packed room and people were coming in and they seemed genuinely moved and wanting to do something. And I know that we're not alone. As time is going on, uh, many of these people are very educated, like for myself, I'm educated and I became unhoused. And there's other people with all sorts of challenges and they really want to do something. And one of the biggest myths is that the police are good people, the city has their interests at heart, and it's very difficult for them to reconcile that that's not the case. What do you say to to them in order to get them out of that fairy tale? I think it's such a good question. Um, I mean, you, Theo, on the panel said someone asked about, you know, this like supposedly quote unquote benevolent policing model that they've been seeing. And Theo, you were like, there is no benevolent policing. Like there's no benevolence when you have a gun and a nightstick and you're in my face with that. Um, I think people are just conditioned through the media and through everything we learn growing up to think of the police as the good guys, the state as the good guy who protects us from the bad guys. Um, and we really need to unlearn that stuff and push through the propaganda and look at the role that the police and that those in power have always played, which is violently suppressing those who are a threat to the capitalist and white supremacist order, honestly. Um, and it's hard, like at the law school. I think the most people, I don't know, I have a friend who used to tell me, like, people go to law school because they love the rules sometimes, or, you know, a lot of people. Um, so it's hard to push through at the law school, but I think there is a good community here who are kind of waking up and are listening to those. Like, we always say that those closest to the problem are closest to the solution. Um, and those narratives are really hard to dispel, but the work that you're doing and the, the organizers across the city are doing is really important because only, a, in my opinion, only a mass movement can can work against all the power structures that are in place um and then what people can do i think i mean i always try to tell my other law students like we should get involved like you don't have to wait till you're a lawyer to get involved in the organizing um i spent a huge amount of my time organizing with the los angeles tenants union i used to be more involved with street watch la monitoring sweeps um on the venice boardwalk that happened every single friday and that has, I've learned more from that work than I have from law school, to be totally honest. Um, but it's really hard to get law students out of the classroom and into the organizing, into the communities. But that's what we're trying to do here with the Tenants Law Association, at least. Um, so hopefully, if we, you know, when we bring in speakers like you, Theo, like other, like Joanna, like Jane, who are involved in the organizing, then hopefully we'll move more people to action. Because like, there's no reason you can't be a law student and also an organizer. I agree. I think there's a lot of reticence in trying to 
step out of your comfort zone because of the propaganda that we're faced. For example, when people see unhoused people, they are assaulted, for example, with the news about the mentally ill gentleman that threw um, diarrhea on a lady. There, When you have those kind of images pushed all the time, you is very difficult if you believe your safety is, is concerned. So based on your experience, um, have you had any challenges with unhoused that like that or what would you, what do you, would you say? Um, that's interesting. I mean, there is such a powerful narrative that's pushed all the time, like in the local news and the national news, that unhoused people are dangerous. Um, I, I think it's just so racist and so hateful. And it's like the same way that, um, you know, these racist tropes against like welfare queens were used in the 80s and 90s. Um, by the right wing and including the Democrats like let's not forget that Bill Clinton was the one who ended welfare um, these racist ideas were used to um, make us hate the most vulnerable people and like there's a, a Malcolm X quote what is it it's like if you listen to the media long enough they'll have you um, hating the oppressed and loving the oppressors and I think that's a really good one um, for me I mean I, I grew up in LA like in the on the west side like mostly white homeowner area um and it's just homelessness is so visible it's like you can't you can't escape it and it's so um racialized like the black community in particular is so, is so much more affected by this um and those narratives are so harmful when like we really need to be treating housing as a human right and, and having more empathy for people living on the street um and you know it's due to the the structural issues in the economy and, and in our politics is not like a there's this narrative that it's like an individual failure and it's just such it's so harmful and it, and it really makes people's makes people's lives terrible so where do you see yourself in the struggle five years from now five years from now i'll probably be working as an eviction defense lawyer like that's really what i'm i'm, I'm gearing myself towards um like we talked about earlier, like people don't just magically become, end up sleeping on the street, like people are evicted. So I feel like my role can be keeping people in their homes through the court system. And like the law is extremely limited. That's something I always have to keep in mind that the law can only get us so far. So the key is to build the movements, the, the grassroots power. So somehow I've got to figure out how to combine direct services in terms of eviction prevention. like defending people in court when their landlords are trying to evict them, combine that with the movement work, which is the real source of power and really how we're going to provide a positive vision and, and make things better. Well, even changing or creating new laws because we are a lawyer. <laughs> so this is the point what I'm trying to allude to with all of us, uh, the ones, the law students that are out here listening, that you too can make a difference. And if you're not a law student, you can still make a difference. Uh, you can go and just take it. Uh, join the organizations and look for yourself at the information that's on my support page, Theo Henderson Support Committee. You can see all of these stories, the backgrounds, and this podcast itself. I want to also end this thing by saying that uh, to do nothing means that you are in agreement. Silence is the answer. Whether you really want to do the right thing, but you choose not to, that's useless. So with that in mind, I want to thank our listeners for listening. Again, may we again meet in the light of understanding.
My name is Lupe Sanchez. I am a member of the LA Tenants Union. We came out here today in South Central supporting one of our own community members. He was being evicted. Earlier today, he was facing threats and harassment from his landlord. Um, JJ put out, uh, he sent out a letter to his landlord, right? Letting them know that he couldn't pay rent. And he did as he's supposed to, according to the executive orders now in place. And yet landlord said, they didn't care. JJ, um, you know, couldn't stay in his house. And so community members showed up and we were able to put pressure on the landlord and LAPD because they were here assisting with the illegal eviction. We put pressure on them and thankfully JJ is now able to stay inside his home. But it took a whole community effort to do that because the landlords know that what they were doing was unlawful. During uh, COVID-19, we've seen an uptick in folks that are unable to pay rent. The Los Angeles Tenants Union is organizing a campaign. Uh, we are striking right now. For folks that aren't able to pay rent, they can't pay it, right? And so they can't be evicted. For folks that can't pay rent, we're telling you don't pay rent. Let's stand in solidarity with our neighbors because with more of us on strike, it's a stronger message. It sends a stronger message to those in charge because they have the power to pass rent cancellation. And so we need to put the pressure on them because those in our community that are the most vulnerable, right? People that were struggling already prior to COVID-19, they were living paycheck to paycheck or just day by day. They aren't going to have two or three months worth of rent saved up to pay in 12 months from now. And so that is not enough. That is why the LA Tenants Union is advocating for rent cancellation because our most vulnerable right now, those who are not getting unemployment, no stimulus check, no benefits whatsoever, they don't know what they're gonna do. And so when this all ends, they can be evicted. So we're saying go on rent strike and let's support our neighbors. First name in the things is uh, Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-Y. Um, it was a situation category of things about paying, how you say, about the rent wise and things, you know, um, the different words, things like, you know, I didn't have it, you know what I'm saying? Different is that I was, this paperwork right here was where I was going to get to the management to get it situated straight now until my proper funds come, you know. Then I could have sat back and took care of it on that behalf, okay? So, now I'm things, you know, I sat back, a couple of people had sat back and spoke up for me. Sat back and kind of like, how you say, spoke up on, on the whole situation category, you know what I'm saying? With a little bit of, you know, communication and things. Yeah, decent respect to communication, you know? Um, I was just kind of hurt because they was talking about, you know, talking about just putting me out there, you know, all my stuff, you know what I'm saying, out here on the streets and stuff. But they, you know, I mean, it was a, you know, but I don't want to, I don't want to go to the, uh, another, I'm ready to stay here, you know, right here at 1916 South Figueroa, you know what I'm saying, because a lot of my, you know, business and stuff was mostly here, you know, then some other place. See what I'm saying? And this this month they're supposed to sit back and do a lot of things from the governor wise and things towards the way. And I don't want to sit back and put myself in this situation category. I'll be way over somewhere else. And then when then when my personal person stuff come through, you know, as uh, uh, legal paperwork and documents or whatever, however, whenever, you know what I'm saying? With all uh, we're respecting things towards the way. Uh, respective community, uh, uh, respective understanding, communication, and things towards the way and things. I, you know, I don't want to just put myself in this way category by 
by giving up because I almost did that today. You know, uh, confidence. You know, I kind of like try to hold on to my confidence and faith. Confidence and faith. You know, I'm not talking about faith. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about my faith. Most of my blessings come ahead and follow up the bug. You know what I'm saying? I count my blessings every day. I don't count my blessings like five days out of the week. I count my blessings seven days out of the week. That's what heaven, that's what heaven, follow the bug say. And it's right there in the Bible. It says it. You know what I'm saying? You know, even beyond your enemies and things towards the way, still step back and show when they say show respectful a respective uh, consideration of things towards the way. Everyone understand what I'm saying. You know, it's been so long. You know, uh, I'm in my early, I'm in my uh, mid fifties. The things right now, I'm not exactly fifty. You know, fifty. I'm exactly, I'm exactly like in my in my early like middle fifties. You know, I ain't got, I ain't, I ain't got up to no sixties or seventies. Not yet. You know, well, it's the best man to find above that I'm here still on earth. You know, but I have been here to city area of things for like two years. You know, I came through here uh, 2018. At the time, it was different management. It wasn't the same management. Everything like now, things like different. Now, you know, uh, it done turned over. It done turned over two, three times. You know, and uh, today was a or awkward situation category, main, main, towards the way to speak on that behalf, to uh, sit back and get everything situated, straightened out. Because yeah. I didn't have it, I didn't, I didn't have, you know, I mean, I got my paperwork, I showed it, you know, and it kind of like, kind of like hurt me and things, because uh, that was something that I'm not used to, you know, I mean, I take care of my rent every, every day. I mean, you know, I take care of my rent like every month. You know, but I scuffle every month too. You know what I'm saying? I, I put in, you know, work from different places, different times, and did things like that. So I had to have a little bit of money and things in my pocket. You know what I'm saying? But other than that and things, when it comes down to my rent, towards the way things, you know, I want to make sure my rent is paid all the way. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to just give some, some, or certain, certain amount at this time, day and time, and then all of a sudden things, something else awkward and things happen, like example of stuff happened today I mean I didn't want to I didn't want to you know but I, I you know I, 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 I had to sit back and I had to speak up or something. I mean I got rights too spoke about about the contract everybody signed the contract when you first get here I mean 2018 until now you know I mean you got you got you know look here you got two years from now I mean you got two years later you know that I have been here ever since 2018 you know what I'm saying it's 2020 now and then all of a sudden this is the first time this ever happened to me, now, I never, I never put in myself in that situation or category, because I never had to sit back and worry about, you know, being in any kind of situation category, late on the rent and this and that and all that and stuff like that. My rent is supposed to be paid on the third. Okay. Now, when we sat back, we made out this this paperwork. You know, I, I wanted to say, I, you know, I started to go and get a loan. You know, from my, from my, from my, uh, from my bank. You know, from my, you know what I'm saying. The loan don't come from each individual towards the way. That comes from my, that comes from my, that comes from my uh, account. See what I'm saying? And I have to sit back and pay that, pay that back. That's insurance wise, right? I have to pay that back. You know what I'm saying? And that kind of, you know, that kind of hurt and that kind of like, mine's is a straight possible thing, you know? And they get theirs automatic. They get theirs the very, very first time. 
situation category thing was this month. That 500. That 500 was gone. You know what I'm saying? I need to bring this to attention. That 500 was gone because I got set a certain amount through the mail, do the do the do the uh check wise on on straight deposit thing like that, and 500 dollars of that money was gone because look because of the loan that I have set back to myself in the situation category because I wanted to say I can take care of the rent. You know, right now the day of things, I don't know what's gonna be the results of things. Goes away mm -hmm. and everybody needs and stuff like that. Yeah, you know. But I got, you know, I got blessed to get that dream. You know, they saying something in between now and Wednesday to see what something's going on. You know, I don't want to sit back and end up moving somewhere towards the back. Right. Yeah, look, you know, all of a sudden my business papers and all that stuff come. You know, even if you know, even if they make a mistake somewhere towards the back, and something come here, you know, it's like. For last, you know, a couple days, that was just a little, uh, a misled thing. On that day and time, for a lot of concerned, that was straight out misled, you know what I'm saying? Because they wanted to step back and put me out, man. You know, that, that, that was cool, man. You know, and I've been, I've been, I've been, you know, here for the last two years, man. You know what I'm saying? That shit hurts. I mean, it's fine, but that hurts, man. Because I just couldn't leave. Uh, with reality, towards the way, great straight, straight rock around the desert. You know, the desert was just going to stay in the street. Put me out, put me out like that. Right. I mean, I can understand they got other places and stuff like that. I'm not, all my business is here. Here, here. It ain't up over there at the other place, Willowbird or whatever, how you make it, you know. But I can understand, you know, the whole situation. But I can't, I'm not, you know what I'm saying? I don't want nobody over there from Adam Eve. I don't want to put myself in no kind of other crossfire or mis misled things towards the way. You know what I'm saying? But then all of a sudden, the thing, they come down there and get me, putting handcuffs, putting handcuffs and all that stuff on me. For what? What are you putting handcuffs and stuff on me for? I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't got violent. I haven't got, I haven't, I haven't disrespected no one. I haven't got violent. I haven't, I haven't sat back and tried to push nobody around. I ain't sit back, I ain't try to trick, I ain't just try to take nothing from no one or anything like that. I just wanted everything to get on the stable situation category. And without the community, without the community thing, sitting back and trying to to to, to help me, you know, towards the way and thing, I probably would have been over there with a bird. Or I probably would have sat back and made a decision and things and just said, forget about whatever. You know, give me all my stuff. I'll take it, throw it in the stores or whatever, however, whatever. And I'm just going to sit back and let it go now if I would have did it like that. But, you know, hey, the community, like, man, what is you doing, man? You know, my right, you know, constitutional right, they can't, they can't just put you out like that. You know, so that was the whole situation category on that behalf. Uh, I was kind of glad that all my, uh, Community workers, everybody still got stuff on, you know, tenant, tenant, you know, workers and things kind of like, they wanted to help me out, man, you know, and I didn't know what else to say or do, man, what, what else to say or do, what else to say or do, but I'm kind of glad I didn't give up, you know, again, you know, but I'm like, I thought about it, I'm like, well, why should I, why should I do that thing when I haven't done anything wrong? I haven't disrespected no one. I haven't really, I mean, I haven't did none of that. The only thing it was, was about the rent thing. You know what I'm saying? It was kind of like confusing things towards me. It kind of hurt. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Okay.
Theo Henderson from We The Unhoused. I have one of the veterans of the uh, housing and humanitarian uh, right movement. Here is General Dogon. Uh, General Dogon will uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on. Uh-huh. So today we uh-huh. just out here at the, the mayor's mansion on uh, Mother's Day, basically to let them know that uh, 16 years of failure this man has been in, in a city council, well, I call it shitty council, uh, eight years uh, as a city council president. It's the second term as mayor. Uh, when you look at the state of the city that's going on right now, you see that it have, he, he has totally devastated the city of Los Angeles. All the conditions, LAPD leading the nation, the shooting, uh, the homeless crisis, the highest in the nation, the incarceration, all that stuff falls up under his watch, right? And it's us that has allowed this man for the last 14 years to run around here and just lie to us and manipulate us, right, and to do what he do. So we came here today to say that his time is up, that his time is up, right, that no more are we going to allow this man to come out here, you know what I'm saying, me, and, uh, and, and, and treat us like this, man. We got to shut him down, you know what I'm saying? We got to shut the city down, you know. We got to come out here today, you know, and, and we got to organize ourselves because it's us understand me that's taking the back wax from this so i have a question general you mentioned this earlier that the mayor garcetti has had 16 years of this what could we have done this differently i've noticed the business improvement district and all of these uh uh, lobbyists or the capitalists have always banded around them and just basically weaponized the police what could we have done that's different so when his first year as a city council president Right. That's when we we already knew, like in 2011, I think it was when uh, 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 when the city voted, they had a vote to see if they was going to increase the rent, the rent citywide, six percent, three percent for the actual rent and three percent for utilities right there. And this man said, you know, at several meetings he came to that we had, we was organized, the L.A. Housing Collective, and he promised us that he was going to be the swing vote, that he was going to be the one that killed the whole motion. Well, he lied to us, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the day of the vote, uh, his, it was his vote that actually, understand me, that that, that, that brung the, the damn rent increase, you know, right? And so it caused a melee right there in the, on the floor of the of, uh, city council. Uh, I was arrested, matter of fact, and, you know, uh, I was charged with 11 counts of assault on the LAPD. Really? And so, um, yeah, they, they, was, they was trying to give me a three-strike case. You know, right? They tried to strike me out, man. I was, I was in jail facing a, a life in prison. And uh, I ended up getting out of the case and ended up, ended up with only 120 days. But right then, we should have kept foot to the fire. Uh, we should have kept pushing it and letting them know that this ain't finna happen, right? Mm-hmm. And because here we are, almost 12 years, 10 years later, you know what I'm saying? We look and we see, understand me, what state of the condition the, the city is in. Uh, so was right it- then, from when he first became city council president, you know what I'm saying, we should have brought it to him right then. And we wouldn't be here today. My question, another question I have is that uh, was he responsible for the Safer Streets initiative? In my first uh, podcast, we talked about this a little bit. Was he responsible or was he or did he allow it to uh, even if he he was one of the players in the game? Most definitely with Jones and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 Tell us for the audience. about He he was a city council member. So in 2005, the city was deemed uh, with a with a federal lawsuit around Jones called Jones versus the city of Los Angeles, where Mr. Jones was 
a homeless man that was continually arrested. Every time he, he had a medical problem, or every time he was stopped to arrest, the cops would arrest him for violating 4118D, which is a municipal. They say you can't sit, sleep, or lie on public sidewalk. And so uh, it was an Eighth Amendment violation, cruel and unusual punishment, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the city was dinged with that. And, they was, and, the, and the federal court told them to make men's. Mm-hmm. So the amends was they would allow people to sleep on the streets from 9 o'clock at night to 6 o'clock in the morning. So the city had no other choice but to, to go in and approve that and allow people to sleep on the streets because they had no, that we had proved that all the shelters were full, the missions was full. They didn't have no place for people to go, and people had no place to go. Right? So they had no other choice but to allow people to sleep on the streets until they built 1,200 units of permanent support housing. And this is in 2005. Here we are going into 2020, and the city has yet to meet that federal obligations of building 1,200 units of permanent support housing in the city of Los Angeles. Now, with Triple H housing, they will reach that, but that ain't only 45 units from Triple H housing that came in thus far. Right. right? So they still, you know, at the here to Jones, which was in 2005. And But Jones, the city's response to Jones was just months later, right, they released what they call a Safer Cities Initiative in 2006, mm-hmm. which brought 110 extra cops to Skid Row, making it the most police most police community, not only in America, but second in the world. Let me interject here, because you, uh, we were on the point of police. Uh, have you seen about the unhoused man that was attacked by a police officer, Frank Hernandez? No, I haven't seen that. Frank Hernandez was uh, brutally beaten on camera while uh, he was, someone had called, instead he was uh, burglarizing the hounds, which found out was false. And the police officer, Officer Frank Hernandez, spit, spat into the man's face and was beating him. Uh, do you have it? They had it on camera. <laughs> so, so because he's unhoused. So do you think that this is one of the things, what should be done about those kind of behaviors? So so most definitely they should be addressed. Uh, those cops should be uh, should be um, should be fired and they should be Jackie Lacey suppressed charges on them. This is this is what we've been trying to tell Jackie Lacey. You know, it's Debbie, since she's been uh, a DA, you know, she needs to start filing charges on cops. Mm-hmm. You know, she have not been filing charges on cops and cops have been having it their way. They've been running around here thinking that they they fearless, that they ain't got nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. You know, Debbie, because Jackie Lacey ain't going to file charges on them. Mm-hmm. And so this is the response you get. You know, Debbie, when you got a city attorney, you know, Debbie, that support whatever you do. Mm-hmm. You know, they done they done shot people. And, and, and one one cop uh, got drunk and, and ran into a family of three on a free. Anyway, uh, the car blew up. It, it caught on fire. The, the, the family died. The cop tried to sneak away. It was some people that caught him on the freeway and helped him till the cops come. They didn't even know he was a cop. All right. And then next day, Jackie Lacey let him out of jail. No charges filed. So until stuff like this is addressed, we always going to have people, you know, cops getting out of here thinking, you know, that, that, that they can do this and get away with it. And a lot of them is just hiding behind the city of Los Angeles. That's all they're doing. They're cowards, right? Uh, if you, if you, like, we do cop watch in our community. I don't need no gun and, and no mace and all that. And we go out and patrol our community every day, right? These, these are cowards, you know, because if you, if you's a real person, you don't need, you don't need all that badge. You don't need the city to, to, to protect and control your community. These, they just joining 10,000 other people so that they can hide behind the city and do what they do. 
I have a question too because I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and he always says this conversation in response to unhoused people. Um, particularly, uh, is an example at Alpine Recreation Center. There was like a slew of cops, and he said, "Well, all it takes is one to go in and do something." Um, and I, but I, I always have a rejoinder: is when there was that kid that was thrown off the roof, and this person was housed. There was not a slew of cops piling up in people's homes. Why do people feel that unhoused people need to be overly policed that's a good one too mm-hmm. uh, a lot of folks believe that a lot of crime and stuff like that comes from from homeless people that sleep on the street but when you look at statistics actually like scare row mm-hmm. you know what I mean scare row I mean of course when you drive down scare row it looks tough but actually it's a paper tiger mm-hmm. um, uh, scare row had the lowest crime out of all 22 LAPD divisions mm-hmm. scare row had the lowest crime but we had the highest number of imp- imp- enforcement mm-hmm. and cops walking around you can't compare the crime that's going on around the city in gang neighborhoods and all the stuff around there compared to a homeless person sleeping on the sidewalk, you know, stuff like that. I mean, they have crimes with what they call quality of life, you know what I mean? Which is survival stuff, like pissing on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, 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 drinking in public, right? Uh, uh, crossing the street, you know what I mean? Illegally and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Those are all quality of life violations, mm-hmm. which are all small misdemeanors and mm-hmm. stuff like that, right? And now you can't compare what is called part one crimes, which are felony crimes, crimes that get you in the penitentiary mm-hmm. that are going on in South Central Compton and Watts, mm-hmm. right? But yet we see more cops in our community where homeless people are. Mm-hmm. Why? Because more homeless people tend to hang around areas where there's money at, mm-hmm. like downtown areas, restaurants, stuff like that, because they panhandle and stuff like it's, that, it's right? A, a and so the businesses and stuff like that tend more to push people out, push people around, and there's more police around those areas to attack and move the homeless people out of the way, mm-hmm. just so that the businesses, you know what I'm saying, can have free reign, you know what I'm saying, so that nobody, you know, is messing them coming in and out of the store. So that's what it's all about, the police protecting the businesses. The police never protect uh, people, residents, because they don't feel that we worth protecting and our property they don't protect because they feel our property ain't worth nothing. You know what I mean? And so what they do is they protect the rich. And this is a private suburb. They move homeless people away from stores and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So, so far, this is all up in This is Theo Henderson from Weedy and House, and I thank you all for listening. May we again meet in light of Henderson. This outro has had many rough drafts. I've changed my mind on how I wanted to end this episode. So I'm going to end this on with a look to some issues that you need to ask yourself. You need to ask yourself, how did we get here? In the terms of the police officers that have over 54% of a budget and the streamlining of essential services for the people in our community. How did we get here that we have the need of police to that degree that the city, the mayor, insists on overpaying police officers and they have their own unions, their own foundations? You have to ask yourself, how did we get here that we've allowed our city leaders to feed us a bunch of lies about a vulnerable community? of the unhoused community, how did we allow the police to slither in and have them create business improvement district um, entities to push the narrative that unhoused people are criminals, all 60,000 of them? 
How did we get here where there are police officers and the rank and file that are still terrorizing unhoused people in several communities? In the Valley um, and in Venice and other places, and they are not being held accountable. By who? By us, as well as the council members. Why haven't they haven't contacted the FBI to send the message to criminality caused by the Los Angeles police officers? And if you think that's an extreme statement, then we can ask the question about Frank Hernandez, who attacked the unhoused person, and because he wasn't moving fast enough or he doesn't complying to his satisfaction, spat in his face and aggressively uh, kept up the attack while his superior, his partner, stood there and didn't call for backup to stand against his abuse. We have to ask this, how did we get ourselves here when we have such an insistence on other community members, other partners that want to get along with police, but yet don't put the fire to them? And then any time the other activists ask the question, they are usually muted or the people that support the police are backpedaling because they don't want to be seen to attack the morale of the police. How did we allow the bullies to have control of the conversation? If, for example, an unhoused person went out and just beat the hell out of a police officer, the outrage would be swift, the manhunt would be immediate, and the collective of deification of the police officer would be swift by the media. So why are we so different in trying to hold the police accountable for these criminal activities? What is it within ourselves that we believe that poor people should be criminalized? With Project Room Key, a lot of the questions, a lot of the doubts, and a lot of the horrible conversations would be eliminated. Nobody that's living on the street likes to be criminalized or harassed. I had a talk with a person that I consider a friend, but he drives me nuts considering his experiences with the police. But when it comes to unhoused people, he becomes the most horrific NIMBY that I've encountered. He believes that there should be consistent punitive measures on police. Case in point. Alpine Recreation Center had a basically a hub of police officers that were constantly in that neighborhood to appease NIMBY fears that unhoused people, even uh, a marginalized community, felt that they were going to descend on them, rob them, and attack them. And to that end, whenever I made the comment or make the link to that, I was always silenced and saying, all it takes is one. You know, they are, you know, you look, come on, this is, you know, they're just doing their job. But there's been more criminality of housed individuals, but you don't see them patrolling or sitting in someone's house or parked outside their house to make sure that things go all right. How did we get here is the question that I want to ask all of us, because this is just not just the system. It's us agreeing with the, the penalization that we have against unhoused people. This episode is a reminder that once we sit there and be silent on someone else that's being marginalized, we are guilty and we are complicit in the abuse of vulnerable people. And to that end, we must be able to be honest with ourselves, check our biases, and see that 60,000 unhoused people are not criminals. 
And if we believe that and we took it to another time period in the World War II, 60,000 maybe Japanese are not criminals, but we put them in camps. 60,000 uh, African-American or Latino, we would be suitably in this time period speaking out. But when it comes to unhoused people, because they have life happened to them, health issues and virtual signaling um, behaviors that are needed uh, to change the narrative, we immediately turn our head. We quickly look at and say unhoused people are criminals. We can put on our finger the times that unhoused people have committed crimes. But we get very silent and we get defensive when I ask them to say the same five issues that they do to unhoused people. Like Frank Hernandez, the officer had. It gets silent. There is a problem here. But the question is, we will never get to the end of the solution until we ask ourselves, how did we get here? This is Theo Henderson from Weedy Unhoused. I thank you all for listening. And I truly hope we meet in the light of understanding.